0: Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I want to share a Bible study that Gracie led yesterday at Tierra Nueva on the dutiful servant in Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10. I found this scripture really um, provocative and deeply challenging, and our group really struggled with it. I read, Which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he's coming from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done." Now Gracie asked our people gathered around about 12 of us um, just how that struck us and people were shaking their heads and finding it really difficult. You know most of our people are people that are low-wage earners and um, or they're living on disability income you know, a lot of our people are familiar with, you know, just, uh, working for minimum wage and struggling and, and really having to do what, what they're told to do, you know, like, uh, cleaning houses or, you know, being, uh, the housekeepers for motels, hotels, um, working in the fields, uh, being in construction companies or just different jobs and, um, And then also having to pay the bills and feeling, in many ways like a slave. And so the idea that Jesus is equating our following him or following God with like being a slave like that is really difficult. Um, Some of our Bible translations try to soften the blow of this text by translating the word slave as servant. A lot of them say, which of you having a servant? Um. Plowing or tending sheep, but the word in Greek is actually "doulos," which is the word for slave, and um, and so Jesus isn't trying to sanitize it, and um, and he's using examples that um, he assumed that some of the people that he was speaking to would have been able to relate to, although um, you know we in our group, no no one could relate to having servants or slaves or you know, and in fact, just that idea is abhorrent to. To us. You know, after all, in America, we haven't uh, yet recovered from the 400 years of slavery that we've been through as a nation, and we find it repugnant. And when we hear about child slavery, or just the, the reality of slavery around the world that, um, that exists in a, in a massive way, almost more than ever in history, you know, we find it deeply disturbing. And um, But the Jews in the first century Roman Empire, you know, for them, slavery was a fact of life. And uh, the average person didn't own slaves, but many villages would have one or more wealthy persons who owned slaves. So slavery was something that was um, that they were familiar with. Jesus' listeners knew about it. and um, and Jesus's listeners would have understood that, yeah, a slave doesn't have any rights to um, to expect to be thanked or to you know to eat, to sit down and eat with the family um, of the owner. Um, people in the first century generally entered into slavery in one of five ways. They were born of slave parents, and sometimes that was indentured servitude. So these were parents that owed a debt, and they, uh, they were sold into slavery to pay the debt, and, and then they had children, and those children, uh, also owed the debt of their parents. Uh, maybe they were purchased, or, uh, or they failed to pay a debt. Um, they, as a prisoner of war, they might have been, uh, taken as slaves. Or they might have sold themselves to get some money to help um, their family or or somebody. Um, And so when we talk about today and um, and just understanding the equivalence of that, a lot of the people um, could think of ways that we're slaves, like the fact that everyone has to pay um, their monthly rent and their utilities, uh, otherwise they'll be uh, you know, they'll be forced to leave, they'll become homeless. And, and many of our people are homeless and or they're barely back in, you know, into a, a living situation that's stable. And so they know the actual threat of, uh, of being evicted because that's happened to them. Um, you know, many, th- as a result of addiction. And so, you know, having to, to pay your utility bill, having to pay your, you know, your, for your gas and having to make repairs on your car so you can get to work, Uh, having to do what you're told uh, by your employer. You know, everyone could relate to that. And um, we got talking about ways in which um, slavery exists today. And people brought up things like prostitution. You know, someone who's working for a pimp who maybe uh, is paying um, a debt off or they're just forced for whatever reason to have to work in that way or to get a, a source of drugs because they're addicts. Um, we talked about other examples of of slavery, of just um, even being a parent and feeling like, you know, you had so much you had to do just to take care of your little kids. And, um, you know, and no matter what, no matter how you felt, you had to take care of their needs. And their needs took priority all the way until um, when they were asleep, you know, from dawn to dusk. And um, people had a hard time admitting that that was a kind of slavery, but we all kind of chuckled and, and realized, okay, you know, we identify with being the slave, not being the slave owner. And we also talked about how if we paid our utility bill, like our electric bill or something, we wouldn't expect the, um, the people that we paid the bill to to say thank you so much and to recognize us for paying our bill uh, or our mortgage if we had a mortgage. Um, we wouldn't expect um, any kind of uh, special privilege as a result of you know, just doing what we had to do. So, I think what makes this difficult for us, though, this scripture, is that here Jesus seems to be talking about um, our, you know, relationships with God, right? Um, so we have to be careful to recognize that Jesus here isn't using this story as an example of, of how um, he sees it as a good thing for us to be enslaved, okay? And to have to do things uh, based on, you know, maybe a really unjust economic system where we're barely even able to survive because uh, our wages are too low and they don't cover just the cost of living, which, uh, you know, this is a, a just a real um, reality in our county here in Washington State. You know, we're an hour north of Seattle and housing is just so expensive uh, in part because of some of the big uh, Fortune 500 companies, but companies like Amazon and Boeing and Microsoft and others that um, have brought in tons of workers. And so, you know, um, housing is, is scarce and, and and overly expensive. And, and so, um, but thinking about just our situation as believers, as followers of Jesus, um, you know, how do we read this text as talking about um, ourselves? Um, you know, Jesus here is not saying that, you know, that we should be, he's not endorsing sort of a codependency where, you know, maybe we're working really hard for somebody, you know, um, like a woman for her husband, who's super demanding and is abusing her. And, um, and that someone should just accept that and be like a slave to her husband or, uh, or accept to be unjustly treated by an employer. Um, This text is not an endorsement of, of anything like that, of any kind of of unhealthy subservience or codependency. So what is this text about then, and how are we to read it? I'm going to read it one more time. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him or her when he or she has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him or her, prepare something for me to eat, and clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you may eat and drink? He doesn't think that the slave uh, thank the slave because he or she did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, "We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done." So, what is this saying? If this is talking about our relationship with God, and um, and why does this bother us? I think one of the reasons that it bothers me is that I, when I think about working for God, I, maybe I think that I would want to be recognized for everything that I'm doing. Like if I'm doing the work of God, then, um, you know, I want, um, I want that to be seen and, uh, recognized. I want to uh, be appreciated for that because it's something I'm doing, not, um, because I'm paid for it. Although in my case, I am paid for it because I'm employed, you know, by Tio Nueva. But, um, but I would want God to recognize or someone to recognize my, you know, my volunteer sacrifices and, um, the idea that this is just our duty and, and we should just be doing everything that we're, that we're called to do, that we're supposed to do and not, uh, feel entitled, um, to some kind of reward or, you know, being able to, um, you know, um, just justify having boundaries, that's bothersome. Okay, so there's two words, entitlement and boundaries. This scripture seems to be suggesting that, um, that we're not entitled to uh, any kind of special uh, recognition or privilege for doing uh, what God calls us to do, um, that we're just expected to be available and to be um, given over, surrendered over completely to God. And so, um, so this scripture I think really bothers a lot of us um, because I think we have an entitlement mindset. Um, I know that I can have that mindset, and um, and so, say me working for Tierra Nueva, I could think, well, um, I'm employed, and um, we have this nonprofit that we created, we established 28 years ago, you know, Tierra Nueva here, um, and even earlier in Honduras, and so then we. We pulled together a board of directors and then we uh, wrote up job descriptions. Those job descriptions were worked on with our board. We were, um, they agreed on a salary package. We agreed to, to receive uh, compensation and uh, different benefits in, in, you know, in exchange for our services. And, and then that included certain numbers of days off and everything. And so then we came into an employment relationship which was our ministry relationship. So we did that. It was approved by the Presbyterian Church USA, our presbytery, because uh, calls need to be approved by the presbytery. So our salary package and everything was had to meet presbytery minimums. And so then we came into that relationship where we had all of our hours defined. And yet we were working for God. And we saw ourselves, Gracie and I, always as working um, for God as being disciples of Jesus, and yet we were employed, we were paid full-time to do that. So a lot of us that have those those jobs, we um, can often get confused about um, what does it mean to actually be a disciple when we're also employed. And um, we, we might think, okay, well, I have a right to turn off my phone and to have, um, you know, kind of shut out all of the demands and all of the distractions of my, of my work, um, you know, and and that's often very difficult and requires a lot of discipline, just even going to bed at night, um, trying to avoid, uh, talking with Gracie and debriefing all the concerns that we have about the people that we serve and worries that we have and things that we're going through, upsets that we have with our, in terms of our, our ministry. And, um, and so, yes, of course, um, there is a need for some kind of boundary, but, um, but I think we can go too far in our boundary mindset, and we can think, um, well, um, you know God is um, has given me this employment, and so um, there's limits to what when I'm available and when I'm not. and we could we can see it too much as a job and and forget that actually, you know we've uh, we've chosen to surrender ourselves over to Jesus and uh, fully. And so we don't want to put a boundary up that would block the voice of God, you know, whatever God might call us to do in, uh, in a given day or you know, or night or any time. Um, all of us, I think, need to see ourselves as 24-7 available to, to God because we are children of God and we belong to God as our, as our Father in Heaven. And um, and Jesus wants us to uh, move away from this entitled mindset where we would think we should be given some kind of special uh, treatment or special recognition as something we merit, as something we deserve, you know, because we're such good people or such obedient, uh, faithful, you know, Christians or whatever. Um, and I think this mindset is, is uh, something that Jesus wants to challenge and and as we were pondering this as a group, we found ourselves all being really challenged by this. Um, Gracie and I gave an example of being in Siberia, in Russia, when um, we, we've been there three times to do ministry with um, a recovery movement there. Um, we met a man named Andre who was um, a Bible in our Bible, my Bible study in the jail who became uh, seriously surrendered over to God through the Bible studies and then was deported. And then he invited us to come um, three different times. And I remember the se- first or second time we were with, uh, the bishop of the, his, the movement that he's part of, this guy named Bishop Maxime, And we were at his church and we had done a bunch of teaching, like a, like a mini kind of conference. And then the next day was our day off. And, um, we'd been going strong. I mean, we were like working from dawn till dusk and later, I mean, cause, um, you know it was uh, it was a winter and so it was it was dark really early. I mean we were we were working many many hours a day and there were so many needs and and we teach and then we'd pray for people and and pray and pray and pray there were, there were so many people in need of ministry and uh, but ever, everyone knew that it was our day off the next day and Maxim came to us and said, um, hey, there's a couple of, there are a couple of people that have asked to be prayed for. And is there a way that you could just uh, meet with like a couple of people in the morning? And Gracie and I looked at each other and we were like, oh, we need to protect our own sanity right now. We're, we're so tired. But, but we felt in our heart of hearts that we were supposed to say yes. So we both agreed. And when we got to Maxime's um, office there at the church, we found that a, a line had formed um, of maybe 20 people. And so we ended up spending really the whole day just seeing people back to back. And these were people that were so desperate and had such uh, hard lives that um, after each person came in and expressed what they needed prayer for, we were just looking at each other going, you know, we just have to do this. We wanted to do this. And God gave us grace. And we felt like we were doing what we were, um, what was our duty in a way. It was, we were called to do it was. And, and it was, um, and we saw God move, the spirit move in people's lives in ways that were just so, so beautiful. And, and we were so glad at the end of the day that we had done that, um, even though, you know, we were clearly tired. And, and this, this has happened many times where we have um, opportunities that arise um, that are outside of the normal working hours and on our vacations even and different times. And I'm not... Just uh, saying this to be an apologist for having no boundaries, but I really think that um, boundaries can be just a hedge, a wall where we can that we can use to to think that we're actually legitimately uh, and and rightly and fairly um, that we can shut God out, and uh, and we need to make that distinction between maybe the requirements that we that we are responsible to fulfill because of our employment and and what the Holy Spirit is truly calling us to do. And that's a matter of discernment, isn't it? But if we look at the example of Jesus, um, Jesus himself uh, embodies, you know, um, an approach. Um, and so we can see like right away in um, in the immediate setting of Luke, like in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, there's this uh, other parable that says, uh, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like people who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Okay, so um, here's the master and we are to be in readiness with our lamps lit. Um, I guess as slaves to this master. Blessed are those slaves, same word, dulos, whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them reclined at the table and will come up and wait on them. Wow, so we're, we're slaves waiting for the master to return and we're supposed to be watchful, but when he comes and knocks and we welcome him in, what happens? Well, uh, we're blessed because uh, when he comes, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, that he will gird himself to serve and have them, us, that is recline at the table, and will come up and wait on them. So, wow, Jesus wants to wait on us, and um, that's a super, um, super powerful picture of Jesus. Where, um, which suggests then that um, that this scripture, um, in this scripture, Jesus is taking the place of the slave, not the master. And um, even though I think simultaneously he's the master, but he through his earthly ministry he embodies this uh, this attitude of complete, um, you know, giving himself over. And why should we be surprised? I mean, that's the message of Philippians chapter 2, right? Um, which begins, um, I'm going to read in verse 5, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. Same word, doulos. And being made in the likeness of people, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So interestingly, um, the way that d- evil is conquered um, and the way that people actually do come under uh, Jesus as um, the Christ and who is Lord and bow is through he himself um, taking on that form of a slave and uh, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So so Jesus models the posture that he is inviting us to take. Um, And I believe he did that um, out of love, not as some technique to try to reverse things and, you know, to to bring about the end of of death. He did it out of complete love. He surrendered himself over, uh, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, out of love. Um, If we look now at one more scripture, Later in Luke chapter 22, um, it says that uh, there, verse 24, and there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded as to be the greatest. See, so we have this tendency, right, to look at all the things that we do and to think, well, I deserve to be the greatest because look at all the the hard work that I've done. I've been 42 years um, married. I've been 40 years um, with Tiernueva uh, serving it faithfully. You know, I've written this many books, and look, what, all I did this week, and all the people that I visited, and all the people's phone calls that I took, and all the people I reached out to, and, well, I'm the greatest. I must, I'm the greatest. Um, you know, we, we have this tendency to want to compare ourselves, don't we? And to think, well, I'm entitled to so much honor, or, or the pay that I receive because of my degrees, and you know my titles and whatever it is, right? Um, we we do that. We we think in an entitled way. Um, and Jesus said to them, "The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors." Okay, but it's not this way with you. In other words, wow, we shouldn't see ourselves as um, you know as the as the bosses as the as the owners of the slaves, well, I mean, we're not owners of slaves, so I guess that makes it easier for us. Um, but um, Jesus is making it really clear, okay, that that we're not to, um, you know, we're not to be in that role of the slave owner in a way. Um, and we're not to want to be um, in that place of of getting the special praises and the special um you know, in, in being higher in the hierarchy or whatever, but rather, but the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table? Okay, um, so there we go. Who is greater, the one who reclines at the table? Well, in Jesus's parable, yes. Um, or the one who serves? Well, I think in our culture we would say that the one who is served is greater than the one who serves, you know. Um, is it not the one who reclines at the table? Okay, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, um, we went for our 40th, 42nd anniversary dinner last week, and we went to a really nice restaurant, and the server came, and we were treated, like, um, beautifully. you know. I mean, she came and, and took care of us, and, um, you know, we ordered, and... She brought us our food and, and really treated us well. And, and that was, you know, we were the people that were the, I guess, the guest of honors at the restaurant, weren't we? And that's normal. Okay, but, um, but Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. I am among you as the one who serves. So Jesus is wanting to challenge, you know, this mindset that we have that is um, an entitlement mindset of wanting to be above and um, wanting to be, um, I guess, um, rewarded and, um, you know, wanting to be recognized, and uh, and he, uh, which is why this parable bothers us, is because it really um, goes against our culture, and uh, which is really in us, it's in me. Um, well, let's look a little more closely at some of the language in this text, because uh, some of the words here, we, we need to really um, know what they are. So, for instance, um, it says um, the word command command is, um, says, he does not thank the slave because he did that which, um, the things that were commanded, does he? You know this word is actually the word diatasso. It's not the word uh, hupakuo, which is uh, the word you know to uh, to obey, or um, or it's not a it's not a word like uh, like ordered like uh, entole is the word commandment, or um, I think enteleo or entelo. Um, it's this this isn't um, a word that is used even uh, for God. Like God doesn't um, command ever. Jesus doesn't command using the words diatasso. It's a word that actually means to give detailed instructions as to what must be done. You know, to order, to instruct, to tell. Um, so it's not used for obeying God. It's really, um, it's more like, um, like, like giving instructions. So um, I don't know if that changes anything for you, but it kind of does for me. It's like um, we as servants of, of God, we just need to be on point. And be listening to uh, the instructions, and to be following the instructions because um, we're uh, we've surrendered ourselves over, and we don't know what's best, and we need to be paying attention to what God is telling us. And yes, that there is a certain need for us just to obey. I guess those um, those instructions, but but the language here isn't isn't that um, theological language exactly, and um, in the second. Usage of it, it's the same thing. He doesn't thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded or which were instructed, does he? Um, so too, when you do all the things which are um, which are commanded or which are instructed to do, you just say, "We are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done." So that word "unworthy" unworthy is the word um, "axreos," which means. Um, Unmeritous, unmeritorious, um, unprofitable, worthless, useless. I mean, it can mean unworthy. Um, It's it's a hard word. It's um, it's it's a word that um, I was looking at all my lexicons to see if I could find a nicer term for it than useless or worthless or unprofitable. Um, I think that the translators that say unworthy kind of found the. The best word, in a way, the easy, the word that's the least offensive, but I think what Jesus is saying is purposefully offensive. He wants um, to call us to a higher level of humility, and this word, um, I think, really, really uh, strikes us at our pride. If I say I am a worthless slave, and I've only done um, that which I was supposed to do, you know, which I should do. Um, you know, that, um, that word, a which is to owe, to be under obligation, you know, what, I'd only do what I ought to have done. Um, you know, that ought to, it's just what, um, you know, what I'm, what I'm to do as someone who, who belongs to God and has been asked to, been called upon to be a, a partner in the work of the kingdom of God. Um, you know, I, um. This scripture inspires me to to want to go lower, and uh, to follow the example of Jesus, and um, and to go um, to that to be at that place of of complete you know complete surrender and um, giving my life over to the will of God without any expectation of reward, and um, you know Jesus warns us of that mentality, the reward mentality, doesn't he? You know, um, he, you know, he he talks about it a lot in in Matthew's uh, Sermon on the Mount. You know, where he talks about how you know beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them, because um, when we do that, when we're seen and when we're praised, then we receive our reward. Um, and rather, we should uh, we won't get our reward then in heaven. And uh, <laughs> I think I would rather um, we have to decide: do we want our reward now? Mm. You know, do we want all the accolades? Do we want all the uh, prestige and you know the fame? Well, yes, I guess there's a part of our flesh that does. Okay, but um, I think Jesus is inviting us to to walk by faith and to have a higher level of faith and to to trust that um, you know that God is righteous and good and He will reward us and but that we must just entrust ourselves over to God and not um, you know not feel like we're entitled to that reward in the here and now. And maybe that ties in in part with, you know, what Jesus is talking about just prior to this text about faith in Luke 17, 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Okay. And, um, and so, um, wow. I, I feel like I need my faith increased to believe that, um, that God is, um, merciful and good, and that when I am following all of his instructions and without any expectation of any reward, and uh, that I don't, I I can see myself the way that Jesus is suggesting I see myself as an unworthy or worthless slave who's just doing what I should do and trusting that God is good and that, and that God sees me and knows me and that I, and that it's okay if I don't see any signs of you know, of um, of prosperity, you know, I mean, really this scripture goes so much against the whole prosperity theology, doesn't it? You know, that God blesses us and elevates us in direct response to our obedience. And so we're going to see, um, you know, financial blessing in this life, um, in direct uh, relationship with our uh, righteousness. Um, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And then Jesus says, um, you have the faith like a mustard seed you would say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you okay i mean that example is not obviously apparent as being related to you know the the next verse which is which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he's coming from the field come immediately and sit down to eat you know um so it's it's but i believe that there's a relationship in terms of faith you know between just what comes just prior to this parable of the dutiful servant and and that parable. And and then what comes right afterwards is also interesting. It's, um, it's the parable, uh, or not the parable, it's actually the story of Jesus. Um, he's on his way to Jerusalem and he passes between Samaria and Galilee. And as he enters a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy upon us. So they're looking at him as a master, right? And um, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And so they they went. I mean, they did, did what they were instructed. As they were going, they were cleansed. Um, now, one of them, when he saw that he'd been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Okay, so here's someone who's actually giving glory. Um, but interestingly, it doesn't say he's glorifying Jesus, right? He glorifies God, and um, and he fell on his face at it, at Jesus's feet, giving thanks to Him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, "Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner?" And He said um, to him, "Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well." So here, um, you know, Jesus seems to be saying that. Yes, we we want to be giving glory um, to God. It's 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 like uh, God, even though Jesus comes as uh, someone who embodies this humble servant, who uh, empties himself to the point of death, and um, and is maybe um, embodying that that attitude of of not expecting anything except just to do what the Father tells him to do. He wants. Um, people. He wants us to give thanks to, to God and to give glory to God. Um, and so his whole focus is on, you know, glory to, you know, to the, the master of the universe himself. And, um, and so he elevates this person, this Samaritan who, um, in a way that seems out of keeping through, through, uh, you know, a direct, I guess, you know, like comparing this example to You know, to to the to the parable, right? But yet, um, shows us that that we must um, we mustn't see um, worship of God and giving thanks to God as as something that um, you know that we should avoid. You know, because um, because God is just a servant doing um, you know what what he should do, right? No, we are not the masters. You know, we are um, we are the slaves, and and we are in a rapport. With the, the the master of this of this universe, you know, um, God our Father, and uh, with His Son Jesus Christ, and with the Holy Spirit, we, you know, we we, we want to be obedient to Him and um, and just to completely entrust our lives to Him. So my hope is that um, we can, you know, be inspired by this story to go into a greater level of surrender, and um, and to maybe renounce the entitlement mindset that we have and to make ourselves even more available for whatever instruction God has for us and that we would do it without, um, you know, without being resentful when we're not um, recognized and when we're not um, honored and thanked and um, and that we, we would be able to enter into a deeper place of, of faith, you know, knowing that um, God is good and God sees us and, and cares for us and loves us and will reward us.